Welcome to Meet the iPhone Photographer at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome tonight's guest host, Hannah Waldrum, and the series host, Dan Rubin. Thank you all very much for showing up uh, to this last Meet the iPhone Photographer of the year. I say of the year because it will be continuing into 2015. There'll be more news about that uh, online in various places soon, so pay attention. Um, if you happen to um, uh, take any pictures or tweet about uh, the evening tonight, please make sure that uh, you use the longest hashtag in the world, Meet the iPhone Photographer, just so it'll, uh, wherever it is, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, it will all get looped into things that have been happening throughout the series. Um, and uh, again, hold your questions until the, uh, the end, but uh, um, uh, we're really looking forward to this evening. Well, I, I'd say we're really, I'm, I'm not looking forward to this evening because I'm usually the one asking the questions and mostly staying silent. And uh, to round out the year, uh, we thought it would be interesting to turn the, the, the attention on me instead. And uh, so, I thought uh, it would be great to have someone who uh, I would trust in the, in the other seat. And so uh, please welcome my guest host tonight, Hannah Waldrum. Hi, hi I'll guys. I'll toss it to you, Hannah. Um, for those of you that haven't met me before, I'm community manager for Europe at Instagram. And I actually joined Instagram um, a year ago. And one of the first things I did was um, organizing a, an Insta walk around Covent Garden. And I'd heard about Dan uh, Rubin, uh, the great Instagrammer, and he had, you know, uh, half a million followers. And I was quite, um, I guess, impressed and intimidated to meet him. Um, and I wanted to share the story of like when we first met, because I think it's quite symptomatic of what he's like as a person. And um, I remember we had got to the end of the walk and we were around Somerset House. And I noticed someone behind me was taking kind of portrait shots and speaking with these kind of dulcet American tones. And I turned around and saw this like weather-worn, tanned photographer. And he had like three camera bags that were like overflowing with cameras. And I was like, oh my goodness, he's like, everything that I thought he would be. But then when we started talking, um, I realized that he was incredibly friendly and warm. And the main thing was that he was so keen to share with me like how he was using his different cameras and um, especially the Hasselblad that he was using at the time. And I was like intrigued into how he was using it. And he started talking to me about it and, and then started saying, oh, you know, um, I'm going to go on eBay and find you like a really cheap one that you can buy. And and it, it really, it just sums up everything that I've come to learn about Dan over the last year is that he's an amazingly talented photographer, but also incredibly keen to share his knowledge. And he's, he's one of the most approachable guys on Instagram, considering like the most followers that he has. So I'm really excited that today we get to kind of pick his brains and find out, you know, what are your creative processes? And I think it's a testament to yourself that you have allowed us to turn the tables onto you and find out a bit more about that. So I'm looking forward to, to doing that in the next next sort of 45 minutes or so. And one of the first things that I said to Dan was, would you be willing to share your first ever Instagram photo? And he said, yes. So um, on the first slide, I think we've got it here. Um, you actually joined Instagram before it even launched, uh, didn't you? And you were one of the beta testers. And so this photo was posted before Instagram launched in October 2010. Yeah, this was, this was at least the beginning of September, possibly even in August. Um, yeah, no, and, and this, this sums up kind of where I was, literally where I was at that point. I mean, I, I grew up in Miami Beach, Fort Lauderdale, and uh, spent a lot of my time when I lived there on the beach. Uh, it was when it's five minutes away, you tend to do that. 
Um, and so uh, it, it's not really a surprise, I think, that that ended up being the first photo that I, that I took with the app. Because back then, you had to shoot the photo in the app, edit it, and then post it. There was no importing. There was no, no sort of uh, alternate workflow. So this literally was the first photo that I shot on Instagram. Um, so yeah, and it's not, it's not horrible. Thankfully, I think it's pretty nice. I'd like to be there right now. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, yeah, I, I think um, so. People will notice from your accent that you're not from these waters, and uh, you grew up in Miami Beach um, in Florida, and your mother's English. Um, so you were coming to and from the UK quite a lot growing up, and um, I think one thing people might not know about you is actually you were an accomplished musician um, in Florida and sort of um, did a lot of a cappella singing. Uh, also a uh, competitive swimmer um, and then sort of got started your own company and did um, product design among many other things and I was wondering if you could just start by telling us a bit more about growing up and because and I think a lot of people would know you as a photographer and, and you know this man of many talents um, what were you inspired by um, when you were growing up over there? Um. I'm glad you said all those things because it would take me three hours to say the uh, talk oh, about all the stuff I've done. Oh, I, w I hope you weren't you gonna. To I was gonna. I was hoping I would be get to skip over this. I mentioned. I made the mistake of mentioning uh, a little while ago to Hannah that I, uh, like, Polaroid photography is is something really important to me as a photographer. And the very first picture ever taken of me was a Polaroid, like in the hospital when I was born. And she said, "Oh, do you have that?" And I said, "Yes." And so. <laughs> It's not a selfie, obviously, but it is my first portrait that anyone ever took of me. Um, it's, not, it's not bad, really. At least I was smiling. Um, have a weird-shaped head, though. Notice I said have a weird-shaped head, not had. It's still weird. Uh, no, yeah, so it, it's... Um, we'll come back to Polaroids later. Uh, it, was a, it was an odd place to grow up because uh, South Florida isn't... People, people say, why did you move here from Miami? <laughs> and, I mean, other than the weather, you know, there's, um, there's, there wasn't really a ton going on when I was growing up. I, I wasn't aware of it then, but the, m the older I got and the more I traveled, the more I became aware of how many opportunities there were elsewhere. But considering that, I, I, I managed to do a ton growing up there, and I was always involved in anything I was passionate about or even minorly interested in. I, had, I was very, very lucky that my parents were just... Uh, um, encouraging and enthusiastic about anything I was interested in. And my brother as well. We, we were very, very lucky in that regard. So whether it was scouts or swimming or singing or sports of any sort or whatever it happened to be, painting, I, I was doing oils and watercolors when I was 12, 13, 14. And that informed uh, a lot of my artistic, uh, uh, not just, not style, but I mean, my, that formed a foundation, really. The same with, I used to build scale models like crazy of model airplanes, like, and all of that stuff feeds into the detail work that I do as a designer and uh, as, as a photographer sometimes. So, you know, it, it's an odd kind of thing that at the time, everything I did when I was growing up uh, didn't feel very connected. But looking back on it, it's all connected and everything just related to things I was interested in. So, of course, even the music and the swimming and and the design and the art and the model making, like those all have massive overlaps when I look back on them now. And you started getting into um, instant photography, so like Polaroid film, mm. kind of out of FOMO a little bit. 
you told me that yeah. it, it, you were kind of, um, well, you tell the story. How did you get into instant film photography? Well, it's actually the way I got into photography because I'd had cameras before, um, but I'd never really done anything with them. I mean, I look back at the picture. I was literally not, even as, a, as I was working as a designer and doing work that I'm pretty, pretty proud of, I look at the photography that I might have been taking at the time. It was just with like point and shoot digitals or point and shoot you know, disposable film cameras and none of it was any good. It was clear that I wasn't trying to use the medium at all. I just, it didn't register to me as, as something artistic for whatever reason, which is so weird. Until I picked up uh, an SX-70, a Polaroid camera. Um, and, and I did that because of, yeah, fear of missing out. Like I, I, I Polaroid had announced that they were discontinuing their instant film and I went, ooh, I haven't shot any of that like properly. And I knew a couple of designers who, um, who had recently, for the same reason, kind of bought, uh, found SX-70s, bought them, bought packs of, of film and started shooting them just to be able to say they had and to experience that, um, that kind of technology, which even in 2000, kind of six, seven, was really impressive. It still is. Uh, and so I went and bought this camera and bought a bunch of packs of film and started shooting it and instantly kind of fell in love with the results. Not, uh, and it, it, what's, it's funny now looking back on it that my first SLR as a camera was this, was this instant film SLR that was older than I am um, from the early 70s. And uh, it, that's, what, that's what got me interested in photography properly uh, you know, about seven years ago. And then you bought an iPhone well, that's the thing, same How thing. How yeah, did like that influence your mobile photography? Well, it, it didn't. Like, I didn't shoot. I, I was shooting with, with the first iPhone. I mean, that, that's the same year. 2007, I got this SX-70 and started taking pictures and taking them seriously. And, uh, and I also got my first iPhone, but the camera wasn't great in it. So I was taking the same kind of pictures on the first iPhone that I took on my <coughs> other cell phones before that, the crappy ones. <laughs> you know, I, and it was... But I was, I was becoming aware that there was this difference because of the, uh, this SX-70, because of these Polaroid images. I went, oh, well, okay, so it's, this is still photography, but why is, why is this photography interesting to me and why am I happy with the results? Is, it, is the camera actually that important? Because I'd never really considered it before. And so I started thinking about it as a designer, as a product designer. I, started, I bought a, uh, you know, a, a, a digital SLR, started shooting with that, was kind of you know much happier with the results of that than from a, a, a camera phone or from any of my point and shoots, but still wasn't as happy as my results from the Polaroid. And then so I bought a, a 35 millimeter film camera, a Canon FTB, and was really happy with the re results from that. So suddenly I was going, well, there's something about film that that appeals to me, and uh, and that's when I had originally started getting into thinking about editing and what was different about a digital image and how it captured the light. Um, and again, but that's before even I was playing with apps for editing on a phone because that was still a couple of years ahead of the iPhone 4, which is when I really started playing with that. And it, the iPhone 4 had a camera that, uh, and it, it came out months before Instagram did. So I had my iPhone 4 a few months before Instagram, uh, I got on the Instagram beta. And I was playing around with some apps. I think I had Hipstamatic and I was playing with that. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is a little bit better. The quality's a little bit better, it looks a little bit better, it feels a little bit better as the end result. Um, but it still hadn't captured me in the same way that the instant film had and the 35 millimeter film had. Because um, at that point, I was, uh, I was still shooting instant film because of the Impossible Project. So I thought I'd include this first Impossible Project 
shot that I'd taken. The film is still kind of, uh, it gets better and better and better with every, every kind of year. But, um, but even that, that first shot that I took on it four or five years ago, I love. Um, and that was the thing for me about Instagram was that uh, I, I was like, all right, yep, sure, I'll beta test this. I beta test a lot of apps as a designer. And I took that first picture with it and I went, oh, I like this. <laughs> that was as simple as it was. That's what I felt with the, um, with the, the Polaroid. I didn't feel this is stuff I'm going to have to put in a book or a gallery or something else. It was just that I liked it. And I liked the results from Instagram, so I kept doing it. And the benefit there was that I didn't ca carry my SLR with me every day. I didn't carry my Polaroid with me every day. I carried my phone with me every day. So I used it like almost immediately. It, the phone became, because of like being on that beta of Instagram, in those few weeks before it actually launched, it was already the camera I used the most from almost none prior to that point. Because there was something about the immediacy of it, something about the lack of effort in, in, uh, in the processing, the post-processing, which at the time I, wasn't, I didn't like doing it. Now I actually love that. I, I, that a lot of my downtime is spent post-processing digital images. I actually really enjoy it. But at the time, that was, that was a frustration to me because I didn't have to do it with film. And you've talked a bit before about the, the audience and the, the kind of interaction that you could have on Instagram, like encourage you to, to keep going with the mobile photography. And the oh, yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about how going from, you know, starting beta testing on Instagram and then um, getting more into mobile photography and then going back to this transition you've made across the Atlantic as well? That seemed to tie in with some uh, work that you were picking up, actually, for different brands that were asking you specifically to do mobile photography. Well, th uh, there was definitely, you know, I, prior to Instagram, I was already on uh, doing a lot with social media of various sorts. Like I was on Twitter. I've just passed my eight year anniversary on, of being on Twitter. There's still people I meet who have only just discovered it, all right? Because I was an early adopter. I've always been an early adopter on the tech side of things uh, as a designer. Like, uh, but I've, I've been, my, my history is intertwined in the web um, very deeply. Um, so the idea of, of interacting with people through the web was not something new to me. Uh, so I took to that with Instagram very easily as well. Um, and the feedback, though, was something new. I'd been on Flickr before, but and my work had got a little bit of feedback, but it was mostly from people I knew. And with Instagram, because I didn't know most of the other beta testers, suddenly I was getting, ev even though there were, there were like 60 people on Instagram when I joined, <laughs> because it wasn't open to the public. I think you were number 72. My, my user number was 72, but apparently they were those were like test accounts or something. So there was like less than that of the number of people who could potentially see m the image. It wasn't about the numbers. It was just that people were seeing it as opposed to all the other digital work that I was shooting, which no one was seeing because I didn't publish it anywhere because I couldn't be bothered to spend the time doing the post-production. Like it was just this chain of events that prevented me from sharing what I shot. Um, so that, that feedback loop was just, it, because it was so positive, it was just encouragement. So I kept doing it. Uh, um, I, I think the math is really easy and really simple to understand on that. That's why it still works. It's because people like, people like getting that positive feedback. There's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. Um, so for me, though, that also translated to shooting a lot every day with this, wi uh, with, with, with the goal of finding something that I was happy enough with that I would share with people. And you know, I, the my, my kind of audience in that way continued to grow, but my goal stayed the same. It was like, I want to find something every day that I, can, that I feel like sharing. Um, 
because I was already finding things every day that I felt like shooting, but I wouldn't, prior to that, I wouldn't always shoot them because I was like, well, what am I going to do with all this stuff? I just was piling up images that I wasn't doing anything with, and it felt kind of pointless. So it, it, I guess it gave a point and a purpose to it, which then translated to all the other cameras that I had, even though I wasn't sharing that work on Instagram. It was, I just got excited about shooting everything that I saw that was worth shooting. That feels quite a lot, like going back to what we were talking about before, symptomatic for your kind of life in general in terms of your parents encouraging you to to follow all things that you wanted to do and like do all the things and even just like looking at this list it takes me back to like thinking of the impressive intimidating Dan Rubin that I was meeting on the insta walk and what do you think it is that's made you want to chase I mean your creative director product designer UX designer the list goes on and on and on and we when we were talking before this I was kind of saying you know what what makes you think you can do all the things, Dan? <laughs> and and you had a really good answer, which I want you to. Well, I, um, well, I mean, I, in in essence, no one's ever told me I I couldn't. Uh, the the idea of only doing one thing and focusing on one thing uh, has just never really occurred to me, and and it was never something that that I was told and taught growing up. Um, uh, so I I follow my interests, and they tend to lead in related directions but a lot of them seem very, very separate. I mean, like singing and music. I was nearly 25 years. I was spending most of my time doing a lot of acapella work, both singing and ensembles, directing choruses, doing vocal coaching, producing people's albums. Like, and that wasn't professionally. It was just a tons of time in something I was passionate about um, and occasionally getting paid for it and also running a design studio at the same time. Um, because no one said, this is probably not a good idea. So I was just, I was doing it, and I keep doing that. I, and, and I end up, honestly, being overcommitted <laughs> because you don't, you know, you don't take on too little when you open yourself up to everything. You take on too much. But as long as it's stuff you're interested in, like, in general, it all, it all falls where it's supposed to. And now you do a kind of mishmash mix of different things, yeah. mainly traveling, workshops, photography, still yeah, doing still creative directing. I still do design consulting. Um, yeah, I still I I still uh, uh, teach at uh, a lot of design-related workshops and speak at conferences about design and design thinking, and I'm doing a lot of photography work as well, and doing a lot of consulting and creative direction on photography projects, and starting to get into video as well. And I mean, it's just because basically my my approach has been if someone asks me if I can do something, I say yes by default, even if I can't actually do it. If someone asks me, can you do that? As long as I think I can, I say yes. And then I figure out how to do it. Um, if I know I can't, I'm honest and I say no. But if it's something that I, yeah, I can figure that out. I say, yeah, sure, I can do that. And then I go away and frantically panic and freak out trying to figure out how the heck I'm going to actually do that thing. Um, but it's like, uh, you know, the, the things that the things that your passions lead you to will surprise you, I think, as long as you let them lead you that way. I mean, heck, even a cup back in June, I got to be on TV <laughs> here. Like, I took this photo while I was on ITV this morning. Like, with I know who Ph Philip Sophiel is. Like, I did grow up like half English. Like, it was just m mental that I'm sitting this far away from Holly and Phil, telling them about like silly little like how to take better holiday photos. You know, it wasn't like a, it was a serious thing but the, like a producer had called me up and said hey we'd love to have you on in a couple of days like would you be willing to talk about this stuff and I it's not what I would normally talk about I wouldn't normally tell teach people how to take better photos while they're on holiday but why wouldn't I so I said yes and so I was on TV um, uh, 
you know, and it, it, I didn't think too much about it, and I, I worry that if I do think too much about it, it'll all just come crashing down, and I'll realize how much of a farce it all is, so <laughs> uh, I just let it happen, and I keep rolling with it. Don't think about it too much. Yeah. So let's <laughs> like move on to the, the photos, and um, you've chosen some amazing trips to tell us a bit more about, and some of the stories behind them, so let's Yeah, so, um, I mean, I for those of you who have seen the series, whether it's on the podcast or you've been coming to these before, I mean, the, m my whole concept for, for this is to get to know the person a little bit and then get to know some of the stories behind their images because that's something that we don't always get to find out. Not like how it was edited or how it was shot or any of the technical stuff, but the actual stories that led up to it. Because for me, that's what photography's always been about for me. It's I'm documenting what I'm seeing. Um, even if I'm working for someone as a photographer, I'm documenting what I'm seeing for them. Like that's that's kind of how I how I see it. I'm telling a story. There's some sort of narrative there that I'm creating or I'm I'm cataloging almost. Um, so the uh, for me that that leads to travel because I love travel. So I try to get um, to I, I shoot whenever I travel. If I'm speaking at a conference on design, I'll make sure I book an extra day so I enough have enough time to wander around the place. So I'm always doing photography when I travel. Um, or I'm getting now like hired every once in a while and sent places, which is amazing. So uh, like last year, I got to go to India for the first time. It was amazing. Um, it was a whirlwind trip. It was about 72 hours, which is considering how much time it took to get there from here. <laughs> like it was almost the same amount of travel time as it was time on the ground, which is nuts. Uh, but I got to see things I'd never seen before. And while I was there, uh, there were loads of things I was doing around New Delhi, but it was really important to me. I wanted to see the Taj Mahal. I wanted to shoot it at sunrise. Like this was the idea I had in my head. I said, okay, there is an itinerary. I'm going to have to do all these things in New Delhi, but that should leave enough time for me to get the two and a half hours each way to Agra to shoot the Taj Mahal at sunrise. And so while I was there, like I got to do the, these, these shots are, are just street shots from the, this, the town of Agra waking up as I was kind of leaving after my shoot, um, I got to see a lot of just life as it happened rather than the tourist spots, and I really liked that. But even the tourist spot, even the Taj Mahal, like the, l the light was absolutely stunning, like really uh, insanely stunning. This photo actually isn't, isn't edited. This was shot on my 5S, um, and that's just how it looked. <laughs> what time of day this was is, that? Uh, what time was sunrise? Sunrise was, was just after 6 a.m., so this was probably between six and seven. I stayed there for about an hour and a half as the light started to come up. And I mean, this is a, this is a great example of the things that photography leads to when I travel. So this wasn't something the client asked me to do. This was some, my personal little outing, my touristy outing. But I didn't want to shoot the Taj from the normal point of view that I wanted to shoot it from the other side of the river, so which led me to this, this garden that's, that sits on the other side of the river there. Uh, and it gives us a slightly different perspective. Um, I knew that the, the, the angle of the sun would actually be better from this side, which is why I did it. If I'd been going to the Taj Mahal just to see it, I wouldn't have gone here. I would have gone to the other side. And most tourists who go will go to the Taj Mahal. I didn't go to it. I just I went there to shoot it. But that also led to a lot of serendipitous moments. So as I was leaving, we were walking back to the, to the van to make the two-and-a-half-hour drive back to to New Delhi, um, I turned around and looked back into the gardens and this, this guy was holding his sandals and a water bottle and walking toward me out of the mist with the sun. I, 
I, I was almost so dumbfounded that I didn't take the picture. <laughs> um, but of course I did because, you know, I'm not, I'm not stupid. <laughs> and it feels like light was quite a key player in your like decision to go at sunrise. And oh, you, told, totally you told is. me before about how you see so many tourists kind of taking, you know, backlit photos and you just want to say like, if you only, if only you could just shoot it with the light behind uh, in front it would just look so much better yeah. and well I, I mean that's uh, photography is nothing without light I mean that's what it is um, uh, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm I'm gonna get this correct or m uh, maybe I won't but I, I the, the, the word photography comes from uh, like the its origins are painting with light um, or drawing with light and I mean that's really what it is with so so uh, for me it's learning to see light and learning how it behaves and what it does has been this fantastic journey because I didn't understand that when I started just snapping pictures, even with that Polaroid. That's been something I've learned since. And it opens up a completely different world. Like even when, I don't, when I'm not taking pictures, I still see the world in, in a much better way because I see light and shadow. And that's just much more interesting to me. And, I, and, and most of the photographers I know feel the same. Like they, it changes the way you see. And that's, f how cool is that? And so what it leads to is that when, when you travel, when you just walk through the city, like different things catch your eye that might just be ignored, probably are ignored by most humans. Yeah. I mean, think of that, like most of the population of the planet probably ignores what photographers see. And that doesn't, you don't have to be a professional photographer. I just mean photographer, if you like walking around with a camera and capturing or recording what you see, you're a photographer as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, yeah, like, uh, why, how could you not pay attention to light, you know, uh, and, and what it does and learning what parts of it you like and you, it'll, it results in better photos. And uh, I mean, learning, it's the same on the technical side, lear learning what your camera is good or bad at capturing light-wise will allow you to take better pictures. If you all consistently shoot in bad lighting, you won't get, you know, bad lighting for conditions for your camera or for your sensor, for your film, whatever it is, you won't get good shots from it. And then, so this the next trip that we were going to talk about was Turkey, uh, where you felt like your kind of preconceptions were confounded a little bit. So this was like a, again another um, that happened in India as well, but in um, uh, I mean in in Turkey, um, I got to see I'd never been to Turkey before. Well, actually, that's a lie. I'd been to I'd been to Istanbul once for a couple of days for a conference. I didn't really get to see. Yeah, I didn't know, almost didn't get to see Istanbul. Uh, it was bad weather, and uh, I just kind of rushed through it. Um, and this trip was for Turkish tourism, and uh, so they kind of took us to all these kind of places that I'd never even, I, I didn't even know were in Turkey, I'll be honest. My, my ignorance was made apparent w by being on this trip. Uh, and I've traveled a lot more than a lot of people I grew up with. Certainly a lot of people in the States don't travel. They don't travel internationally. Um, which is really sad. And even me growing up with, with an English passport, um, my travel when I was younger was mostly, my international travel was to see family in England. It wasn't really international travel, but I felt like I traveled more than other people. And these kind of journeys have, uh, have taught me how little I know. I mean, even my, my impression of Turkey was that it was kind of like Istanbul, uh, which is completely wrong because uh, as you travel throughout Turkey, you you both you you see how the the people change, um, the food changes. Uh, this this trip was kind of seven days through western Turkey and southwestern Turkey. So we ended up in the Mediterranean, and by that point, it's 
you're, it's, it's like being in Greece. Or the, you know, the food is completely different. The weather is different. The, the topography is different. The colors are different. And getting to kind of go through so much of what is such a massive country, uh, and this, uh, you know, especially the whole cradle of civilization part, which is something I've read about, but you, when, you, when you experience something firsthand, you experience it in a different way than you do if you're reading a book. When you experience that stuff and you're seeing as a photographer sees, I think you experience it on yet another level because you're seeing everything for, for its deeper qualities. Um, at least that's how, I, that's how I feel it is for me. But I, I've, I've talked about this with so many other people that I know they f feel the same. A, a switch flips in your head and you suddenly see a different layer, uh, it, you know, it, it, in, a, in a very geeky way. It's kind of like the Matrix, <laughs> right? It's suddenly you're, you're th this different world is opened up to you. And, um, you know, I mean, of course, I'll, because this was a, a trip where, where the I was working for a client, they were trying to show off it was the tourism Turkey. It was amazing. Right? Yeah, so yeah. I, g I got to go on some touristy things like a hot air balloon ride in Cappadocia uh, at sunrise, but that's something I want to do over and over and over again. Like I, um, it, it's this amazing experience, but I was able to like capture it in a way that if I was just there, and it, it's a weird thing because um, I do worry sometimes about how much of my life I spend looking at the world through a camera. You know, and, and is that is that you know, is, is looking at the world like like this actually seeing the world? Or or not? Um, I think it is. I think you. Y I don't always have the camera up to me. Uh, as I said, even if I don't have a camera, I I spent most of this balloon ride actually not shooting. Uh, there were everyone around me was kind of shooting constantly. I shot a bunch and then I put my camera down and just took it in uh, until I saw like a shot that I wanted and then I took it. Um, uh, so I'm also very conscious of not letting photography get in the way of. Where living was and seeing. Where was this photo? Uh, uh, this is uh, Kayseri uh, waterfalls, some of the biggest waterfalls in Turkey. And it's the same kind of thing, right? Like, uh, so the story behind this is actually um, twofold. And I like, I like this story out of, out of all of the Turkish stuff. This is one of the best ones. Because we arrived at this place and we were being, it was, it was actually like a really, really stressful trip because there was a lot to do. We were on a a bunch of us on a coach, 12 different people on all packed into a coach, going from place to place to place to place, being like kind of rushed almost because there was so much stuff they wanted to show us. So it could be, it wasn't all fun and games, right? A and we got to this place and all of us are going, oh my God, massive waterfalls. This is amazing. We need to stay here. And the light wasn't quite right. So we were, we were kind of saying, no, no, we need to stay longer because the light's going to shift and, and, and shine on these things. And they were like, no, 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 we have to go. And so we, we were still kind of rushing, but delaying <laughs> as much as possible. Uh, turns out that you know the place we went to next was even better, so it didn't like it didn't matter. We were just we were kind of uh, it, it's the same way I felt going through Iceland, which is like everything is amazing until the next thing, which is even more amazing. Um, but uh, this this photo was actually where I, I I accidentally worked out a little trick. So y this was shot on an iPhone. This was actually shot on a 4S, but it was shot with Cortex Cam, which is one of my favorite little apps to shoot with because it's an averaging camera. It takes multiple exposures and then blends them together. But if you switch off one of the settings that, I, that is on by default, I'll, I'll talk about it later when I'm talking about editing and things, um, it's, it, the setting is, to is meant to remove motion blur. And if you turn that off, it allows things to blur. Well, if you hold the camera still enough while you're shooting, it allows things like water to, to just rush. 
and you get the, the equivalent of a long exposure without having to have a tripod or anything else. And uh, it was totally by accident. I just kind of flipped it by mistake, or maybe, I can't actually remember, maybe, maybe I did it because I was trying to see if it would do it, but I wasn't actually sure that it would. And um, uh, yeah, and that, and that has nothing to do with the location, really, except uh, I, I, it was a waterfall, so I thought I'd try it. But we were in a rush, and when you're in a rush and you've got a constraint, you try things, you experiment, you play, you, you make mistakes. Um, and uh, oh, it was just, it was, it was this awe-inspiring thing that um, I, almo I, I almost, I barely shot it with anything other than the iPhone because it was in such a rush and I didn't, like, I forgot my tripod on the, on the coach and it was just all this chain of events that led to me getting the shot I wanted with, with a phone, <laughs> with my old phone, <laughs> too. And uh, you, you mentioned Iceland just there and um, you've spoken about how this is one of the most in sort of inspiring places you've ever been as a photographer and I must say in the last year I've seen a fair slew of Instagrammers making the trip to Iceland and um, why did you choose Iceland as your third story? Um, well, so I've already said travel is, is really important to me and, and uh, seeing new places is something I've, I've learned about myself that, that inspires me. Going somewhere new for the first time, I, my eyes are kind of uh, like overstimulated, and I, I love that. So is my brain. Like it, it and, and that it's been that way since before I was sh I was shooting those places. So that's, but photography has has taught me that that was my reaction. I would always get like really excited when I travel to a new place, and I'd always wander the streets and everything. But I wasn't taking any pictures of it. I was just taking it in and exploring. And so doing that with a camera is just much more fun, and you get to look back on it afterwards. Um, Iceland has been on my want-to-visit list, along with places like the Galapagos and Easter Island, and things since I was a kid. It's just like this place of lore that maybe one day I might be lucky enough to, to, to visit. And um, I was talking to uh, two friends of mine, fantastic landscape photographers, um, Connor McNeil and uh, uh, Greg Annandale, and Connor's here somewhere. Um, hard to miss his, his, his head. There he is. Um, and uh, we, were, we were talking earlier in the year about a trip. They were planning on doing a, a, you know, like their third or fourth trip to, to Iceland. And I said, oh, it would be amazing. Do you think I could come with you two? And they were like, yeah, sure, because I thought I could learn from them. And then a, like a month later, I, I'm, someone said, or I think I probably was stupid enough to say, hey, you know what would be cool? Let's actually have other people on. Let's run a workshop, because I like teaching. And I said, let's run a workshop. Like, you guys are amazing landscape photographers. Like, let's, like, we could do landscape photography, a little bit of, like, iPhone photography as well, and let's just, like, make something fun and see if other people want to come along to it. And so we did. We ran a workshop in September, uh, like a weekend workshop, and then we did a week I sleeping in vans and driving around Iceland in very cold conditions and, uh, and just taking pictures all the time. And so, it, like, that's how the trip came about. But actually being there, as much as I love discovering new places and seeing new places, I have never been so overstimulated by a place in my life. Like, it, it, it hasn't even left me yet. When I've, I've been reviewing photos for since then, on and off, as I have time. And it's just, it's, a, it, yeah, it's hard to imagine that the place actually exists. And that's how I felt when I was looking at it. Um, yeah, let's take a look at some of them. So, I think you managed to, I mean, we were talking earlier, you, you told me that you wanted to, try and capture the feeling of a moment in the photo as well. And I feel like with some of your Iceland photos, you've managed to do that. Like, what, what are the stories behind these ones? Well, I mean, it, um, it, all of the, every single place had a, had a, had a story. Um, the, you know, Connor told me before the, the trip, uh, he said, yeah, everything you're going to see, you're going to think is the, is the most amazing thing you've ever seen, and it's not going to be. 
that's going to be like five minutes later. Um, and he was totally right because as, as we were driving around, um, and, uh, and one of my uh, one of my guests next year, um, Finn uh, Beals, who's also here, hiding out in the corner, um, he was along with us as well. And uh, Finn and I shared a van, and we were pretty much stopping all the time. And the other guys were driving ahead, and the van's going, "Where are Finn and Ah? Oh, they've stopped again. No, no, wait five minutes. There's going to be the actual cool thing is going to." And we're like, "No, no, no! It's amazing." They're like, "No, it's not." It's more amazing around the corner, and then we're like, "Oh my God, it is!" And um, it just didn't. It never. It, it never stopped being this incredible place. Um, like I mean, you know, w w this picture. Like it's a, a a sunset over a lava field. No big deal. <laughs> like a six thousand year old lava field, uh, um, which is young apparently. Um, and uh, 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 you know, what's next? Oh yeah, uh, an iceberg lagoon. <laughs> because why not? Um, and you know, and yes, the uh, the ice is actually blue, and it doesn't. It, it, it you know, um, the 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 colors, the textures, the light, the 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 landscape, everything about it is just unreal. And it's not a surprise that so many filmmakers and photographers and 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 also writer, writers and artists of all sorts have been inspired by it for centuries. Um, uh, the you know, uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth starts in Iceland. Um, you know, it, it's this it's this just. I don't use the word epic a lot because I think it's overused. I, l much like, strangely as an American, I don't use the word awesome all that much. Um, but this place is epic and awesome in the proper meanings of the word. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, th this is also a weird thing because there, there aren't th stories in the same way. I mean, other than, pr well, like, the, so this shot, um, one night, like well, actually, like the the end of, of of part of one of our days, uh, we started driving through a snowstorm just out of nowhere. It hadn't snowed; there was no snow anywhere, but uh, it just started snowing. And we got to our our campsite. We camped, and something like four or five in the morning, it just started snowing. We woke up to this just complete white sheet everywhere. And this pass, we'd driven down through this um, the day before, and without snow, and we kind of went back to it the next day. And it and it had this amazing dusting of snow, and it it, it looked 100% different. Like uh, uh, except for knowing we'd just been there the day before, you wouldn't have been able to tell it was the same place. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to be making lots of trips back to Iceland. We're doing another workshop in March, uh, and then going back again in kind of uh, June or July to do some aerial photography. And like, just I d I don't think I'll get bored of it. And that's what's strange to me is that I don't get tired of seeing new places, but I kind of think. I feel that every new place, or every place that I visit again is one new place that I won't get to see in my life. It's a weird way of thinking about it, but it's like time is finite. That's why I don't reread books. I, if I reread a book, that's one new book that I will never read. I've lost that time, right? Um, it's weird, but it, it makes sense. It's a motivator for me to do new things. Iceland, I'll go back over and over and over again. I, I don't imagine that I'll ever get tired of it in different seasons, in different, like, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, words fail me, as as you can clearly see. Um, and so this this last one here, um, this is probably my favorite moment, and it's hard to pick a favorite moment. But this is looking back along um, uh, a fjord, and it looks unreal. It looks like a matte painting in this photo. And the thing is, is that that's exactly what it looked like. I, I remember standing there looking. We'd driven up this fjord. It was right at kind of sunset, dusk. It was dusk, really. The sun had set behind clouds. And uh, 
we were kind of looking back and we just had to pull the car off the side of the road and go, no, we, we have to stop. And because this is what it looked like. This isn't like crazy edited or anything. This is just what it, it looked unreal. Like the, what, what, the, uh, what this glacier had carved out of the earth. Um, and every time I look at this, this kind of sums up to me like what I felt the entire time, this overwhelming sense of how small I was and how amazing the, the planet is. That we don't, you know, I love architecture. Right? I love what, what humans build and what we create. But if you go to the right parts of the planet, you don't have to do anything. Humans don't have to do anything. It's just amazing and perfect as it is. So l let's have a look at some of the, the ways that you've edited these. I mean, you said that some of them, like for example, this photo don't need a huge amount of post-processing, but there are a couple of little light touches that you might do. And obviously not everyone can go to Iceland, but there might be some sure you can. little tricks. Join us in March. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, because I'm going to talk about a bunch of different apps, now's probably a really good time to snap a photo of, of this slide, just to, because these are some of my favorites. I don't use them all the time, but um, especially down the ones uh, at the bottom there, Cortex Cam and, and Manual are both shooting apps. They're, f they're for taking. Uh, most of the images that I shoot, I take in the default iOS camera app. Uh, same, even if I'm shooting on, on, well, on, on Android or something else, like I'm shooting on the default camera apps. Um, but Cortex Cam is like something I go to a lot in low light situations, or again, for now, for kind of waterfalls and such, uh, smoothing water. Manual is just uh, like a new app because of iOS 8's manual controls. So it allows you to kind of set the ISO and set the shutter speed and set focus, uh, which within the limits of, of what these little things can do actually gives you a whole lot more control than just the normal kind of tap. Um, so I think, I think everyone's had enough chance to kind of see what those apps are. Yeah, w one, of the, one of the things that came out of my interest in, uh, in figuring out how to, how to make my digital workflow more like what I enjoyed from film, so this is before shooting on, on, uh, uh, on an iPhone, uh, what I wanted to do was spend as, I didn't want to spend a lot of time doing my post-production. I liked shooting film. I liked being able to pick Portra 400 or Tri-X, and I know what I'm going to get. I just have to shoot it, and then I send it off. Someone develops it and scans it and gives it back to me. The image is done. And I'm happy with that. I wanted to figure out how to make my post-production on digital work as close to that as possible. I didn't want it to feel tedious, because at the time, it did feel tedious. And now I've come kind of through that, where I, I, don't, I actually really enjoy getting stuck in and spending an hour on, on one image, just playing with it and figuring out what, what different ways I can bend it. But most of the time, what I'm trying to do is just make it look like what it felt like. Uh, I'm trying to, and, and it might feel like something different than it looked like, if that makes sense. But for me, it's about a feeling. Like, uh, this is what I saw. This is what I felt. Uh, and so that ends up not being a whole lot most of the time. So I've got a couple of things to, to show here. Um, um, well, first of all, so just in so that you can see what like this this is the image out of cortex cam right uh, it's not quite as uh, it doesn't have all the saturation it's not quite as punchy but that's because a lot of digital sensors not just the iPhone like any digital sensor tends to desaturate what uh, what is actually there um, so this is this is kind of flat is how I, I call it but this is it's a it's a good even exposure there's good co natural contrast lots of colors lots of textures. So I know that looking at this, there's a lot for me to, to work with, and I won't actually have to do much to it. 
So most of my work gets done in, in ViscoCam. If I, uh, if I need some other apps, I'd use them first. Uh, so I'll go into ViscoCam later. I'll, I'll finish up there. Just a couple of quick demos, because these are apps that I love and not everyone has, has seen them. Touch Retouch is still kind of the ooh-ah app. It makes people just, if they haven't seen it yet, they're really impressed with it. Um, so just quickly, um, this is an image that I shot uh, last year uh, from a hotel um, near Piccadilly Circus. And one of the things, I love London rooftops when you can get access to seeing them, but I hate London cranes. <laughs> and this, this view is actually great, it, you know, even though it has uh, uh, you know, this modern, uh, you know, a modern tower in there, it doesn't matter, like I love that. I just don't like the cranes. So I'll do a really quick job here. Some usually it is pretty quick in touch retouch, but like you just mask out the uh, the offending things, and you don't. I generally don't have to. I might not be terribly precise all the time. Um, I want to mask the visible stuff. So that crane keeps going, kind of down here, right? But I don't. I don't care about that because it's so far away that it won't be visible once it's once the, uh, the image is, is edited and finalized. Um, and uh, here, I'll, I'll do, a, again, a quick and dirty job just to save time. But do you do this quite a lot on your photos then, or is this No, I th this, is, this is like a, an almost an exception. I mean, I, I'll remove things like if there's, a, uh, if there's an offending cigarette packet that I really don't like, for instance, or, um, or, or just you know, a person even that walked into the frame or or a bird that is like is isn't isn't an artistic bird it's just a blurry thing um i'll i'll remove it because i can right i as far as i'm concerned this is still this is still in camera like my my restriction with my iphone images is that i i edit them on the phone if if there's an app that does something it's fair game uh, as opposed to my film work which i shoot it and it's done i don't edit it or or anything other than removing dust so you hit play on this and it just they're done. And I can spend more time on it removing some of the other blemishes and everything, which I, I usually would do. But it makes quick work of this kind of stuff. And like that, the story I'm telling is my view from the rooftop when I, in this picture. Like That's what I felt. I, I wasn't actually looking at the cranes. The cranes, to me, are a distraction from that single image narrative. Uh, so removing them tells that story. This isn't I'm not shooting for the Associated Press. I, you know, it doesn't. It, it's not something where I'm restricted from removing those images. So it, it, that's where that artistic line, uh, uh, you know, about it's all about the story to me. So if that helps tell the story, then that's great. And that's it's so easy and straightforward. The same company makes this app, Anticrop, which is just as magical to me, but um, in in an opposite way. So where where Touch Retouch removes th removes things, Anticrop adds things. So I've, I've got this image, which I'm actually going to do two things to. Um, it's a picture of a building. Right? I, I took this for a demo. But, uh, so it's got parallax distortion on it, that where you know, the lines that should be parallel are vanishing because my, my camera was kind of tilted back. Um, and when you're doing architectural photography or in interiors or something like that, you kind of want parallel lines to be parallel, um, or at least I do. Uh, and so I'm going to show another one of my other favorite apps, Screw It. I'm going to show an adjustment on that, but if I'm tilting this building forward, which I'm going to do in Screw It, um, what'll happen is, because I don't have enough sky, the top of the building will actually get out of the crop as it gets moved up. You'll, I'll show you what I mean uh, in a second. 
So anti-crop is basically good at one thing. It's good at that. If you need to, if there's something that can be easily reproduced and repeated, so like a brick wall, mm, it depends on how even the pattern is. You might not have so much luck with that. If it's a really crowded scene, you might not have so much luck with that. But for giving like yourself more room in skies or, or you know, I've, I've even done it with fences before, where if the pattern is, e is even enough, it can figure out how to, how to uh, reproduce it. And it's amazing. So now, I, that now I, I've done that and I have, uh, I have more sky. And now I, you'll see why that makes sense uh, in a second here. I'm doing this quickly, but uh, you can always ask some questions. I want to make sure there's time for questions, and I want to show you a lot. <laughs> uh, I don't always do this stuff on every image. Like, I'm not always using screw it, for instance. I'm, I'm only correcting for parallax when there's an image that has a, you know, a parallax issue. So here's what I meant about, like, screw it allows you to, to adjust uh, um, the, the, fo the planes, the, fo the um, uh, kind of the image plane. You see, if I if I adjust the vertical plane this way, I run out of I run out of sky. So the building, once it's vertical, I'm actually capped at the top of the uh, of the building, which I don't want. So if instead I pull in the image that I just created, so this one, which now has more sky, I can make that adjustment, and now I can crop it how I want, but I still have the sky. So in a way, like anti-crop is always like, much like touch-retouch, it's, it's, a, it's a one link in the chain that you don't need all the time, but when you need it, it's like the only thing that, that does it. And it's nice to have that tool in your toolkit, which is the thing I love about this. Like it, uh, there's so much stuff you can do. You know, the, uh, it, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, used sarcastically now, but there is an app for that. <laughs> And it's amazing. I, I have so much fun with that. And that's the thing for me. This is, this is fun. It's a, it's a challenge. And I, I, I kind of, I don't look for those challenges, but when I see a, f a shot that has one of those challenges, I do what I can to, to kind of work so with it. So then um, would you add that into Instagram or in the, into Visco? So usually I'll, I'll make small adjustments like that. And, and I'll also use Snapseed for, for certain adjustments, which... Um, are kind of time-consuming to show. I'll show very quickly, but there are a couple of things in Snapseed that I like, uh, that I like to do from time to time. Um, not on every image, but some images uh, it, it helps with. So let's just pull... I didn't, like, this, is, this is an example of an image I didn't actually use Snapseed on, but I'll, I'll use it as the example. Um, I'll, uh, I'll often, just to, to make the details a little bit sharper, sometimes you can add sharpening, and that will that but Snapseed has this other tool under uh, the details menu called structure and if I turn the structure like way up to 100% you can you can see the before and after like what it's doing is kind of almost making the contrast points between between light and dark and between colors more contrasty so it's not quite an HDR effect but it's getting in that direction and um, what I'll do is just maybe add a little bit of structure, which for a low, a lower res image shot on a really small sensor through a really small lens, it just adds a little bit of crispness to it. And I'll add it when I feel the original shot doesn't have as much crispness as I'd like it to have, it's when it's a, if it's a little uh, soft. The other thing that I'll use Snapseed for, which again, I wouldn't use it on this image, but it, it'll be a good demo for, is uh, selective adjust which is something that other things don't have. So I can put a point with my finger on 
any pixel color. So you can see that ring around this, this circle is changing depending on what is under the center. Right now it's white, now it's dark. And that helps me create a mask. If this is going over your head because I'm doing it so quickly, it just play with it, you'll get it. So you can see, like, I can expand and contract by pinching and zooming, uh, like the pinch gesture. I can expand what this covers. And I can make that brighter now or darker. I can affect the brightness, the contrast, and the saturation. And those three are interesting because when you increase the contrast, you actually increase the saturation. So if you didn't want that, you just wanted to increase the contrast, like this has brought out the greens there. If I didn't want to bring out the greens, I would then turn the saturation back down to compensate. Um, the same thing with brightness. When you increase the brightness, it can sometimes affect one of those other ones. So it's a, it's a really simple tool but that allows you to do, like if I wanted to bring out the uh, here, last thing I'll show on, the on, on Snapseed, but this, uh, if I wanted to bring this orange door out a little bit more, I might brighten it a little bit, add a little bit of contrast, and pump up the saturation. And if I show the before and after, well, actually, here, it'll be easier to show if I delete this other thing there. All right. So the before and after, if you look at the door, see how much punchier it gets? And that's a very quick adjustment, like, I've, like quick and dirty. But I, like it gives you that control. You have selection control. And basically, if you, if you ever used Photoshop, half of Photoshop work is like learning masks. Once you learn how to mask things, you can do all sorts of magic. And so we don't have an app like Photoshop in, in that, to that extent, to that level of, of complexity on these devices. But we do have apps that allow you that little bit of control from app to app to app to app. And, um, and so that's kind of one of the things that I look for for those smaller edits. And then speaking of color, what, what are the filters that you might put on? And also, we have some new filters. Oh, today. yeah. So. Um, Every once in a while, I will bring something into in Instagram. Well, uh, uh, when I post it on Instagram, a lot of things have been edited prior to that point. Um, I'll be honest, I don't use the, the tools from scratch to <laughs> that are in Instagram. But every once in a while, I'll add, I'll feel like once I brought it in there, I need to add something extra. So I might add like 10% of, of one of the filters, 10% of rise or one of the other things. Or maybe I'll tweak something else when I'm in Instagram now that they have all those editing tools. Uh, which are the same kind of tools that are in VSCOCAM. And there's, like, at 6 o'clock tonight, apparently, uh, an update to Instagram <coughs> was, was pushed that includes some new filters and a couple of new features, uh, which if I, if I don't have time to show... It was timed especially for this was it Was it timed <laughs> especially? I think it was just lucky. Uh, so, quick example, um, so we can get to questions. Uh, I've got so many images. Um, Where's the one of the underground? The so one of my one of one of the most popular images that I've I've shot and, and shared recently is this um, in one of the uh, one of the metro stations in uh, Stockholm. Uh, but this is a good example. Like there's no touch retouch done to this. There's no snapseed done to this. This was shot in Cortex Cam, and I'll show you the original. Like the original shot is this. There's just there's good light. I exposed it for the highlights. I shot it with Cortex Cam because I knew exposing for the highlights, will the shadows will be a little underexposed. But Cortex Cam takes ca like averages out all of the noise that you would normally get shooting this with the regular iPhone camera. So that, from experience, that tells me that I'll be able to increase the exposure afterwards and not have any noise in those shadows. So it it I knew I'd have room to play, but I haven't done much to the image. Like what I've done is like the original the original to my eye wasn't this desaturated. It was actually that red is really red in this station, but the camera captured it 
in with a lot of gray in the mix, which happens typically with digital shots. So my edit was pretty straightforward. It's, uh, I like this kind of E series in uh, in Viscocam. They've, it feels a lot like um, a lot of the film stocks that I like to shoot with. And there's nothing special on there. It's like E1 at its full. Uh, well, actually, here, I'll, I'll turn off the E1 there for a minute. And you can see I've made some exposure adjustments. I've basically increased the exposure a little bit from where it was and added a little bit of contrast and that's it so that's the base thing and this is how I when I when I bring an image in to Viscocam the first thing I'll do is find the preset that feels right to me and then I'll make some exposure and contrast adjustments add a little bit of sharpening maybe add a little bit of a fade but not much like I the the I let the preset kind of do its thing but what it's doing is doing what mostly feels right to me. And sometimes I'll, I'll dial that preset down because you can do that in Viscocam. You and can have less or more. That's something you, you were talking to me about before is that sometimes just adding like a little bit of color or contrast is trying to make the image make you feel how it felt to be there, if that makes sense. So it's, yeah. you know, sometimes it's less about how it actually looked, but sometimes just the mood of the moment or the atmosphere and that you're trying to capture that in some of the warmth of the, the color. And well, I like think that. that's one of the reasons why we like like the presets and the filters, because we know inherently that the image that we see on a digital camera isn't what it looked like. And more importantly, though, I think at a, at a lower level, a subconscious level, it isn't what it felt like. And that's why we feel something more when we look at something that's got some sort of edit done to it. And everything that we see around us is uh, that's a digital image has been edited. Um, and before that, if we're old enough, like me, uh, we saw film images, which are all edited. The edit, the preset, the filter on film is the chemical yeah. composition yeah. and how it reacts to, to light. Um, it's not how it actually looked, but it's a lot more about how it felt. Uh, so I'll, I'll show one more here. Do um, you want to um, show the Instagram filters just before we wrap up? All the right. Uh, I will, because it actually is cool. So I screw it is I'm a big fan of. And one of the, one of the things that um, that's in the no internet connection. I know I won't be posting this, but let's pull an image in. Maybe eventually. It's being very slow at the moment. I won't blame that on Instagram. Oh, there it was. It was going to do that, and now I'm going to do it again. Oh, there we go. So let's let's just use this image because it's there. Um, so under adjust now, you can actually do similar stuff. You can't. You'll see. Like, there's a limit to it. It won't let me pull that completely vertical, like screw it will. Um, but the fact that it's you can do plane correction and and parallax correction is is kind of amazing. Uh, I think it probably shows that that more people are are doing more with the shots that they take on their on their iPhones. That that's pretty cool. Just for me, liking more tools, more flexibility. The new filters I haven't actually played with because literally they came out before we came up on stage. But I like the look of them because they're much more, so let's see, we've got Slumber, Crema, Ludwig, 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 um, Aiden, and Aiden, and Perpetua, and Perpetua. Mm. let's say Perpetua. Uh, they're much more subtle, which is a stylistic choice, right? Like, for me, I like them. Like, they, that's more along my lines of, of, of editing an image, is that it's more about the light in the image. It's more about what, you, what you've captured in it not about what you do to it afterwards. Um, 
because without a good capture, you won't have good, a good image. And I like that because that to me, that's going to that's gonna lead to people who use Instagram to edit taking better pictures because they have to if they're going to use these new filters. Like it will, it, I, I'd love to see how that plays out, but I, I like that that's been the trend. And it know. feels like you know, it's quite a reflective of how the cameras in mobile phones are getting better and better. So you know, actually, if you look at some of the older filters, like they're, they're much heavier because of you know, going with an iPhone 4 camera or that kind yeah. of thing. Actually, these are a lot more, more subtle, and, and people are like taking better photos on mobile. So I, I like them, Hannah. Okay. I knew you'd say that. I might not use We're them much stage. because I do, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I do like them. Um, I think we probably should switch over to questions now. Yeah. Although now I'm sure we could watch you edit. Oh, all day. well, I, you know, I, I tried to keep that short and it's still like there's just so much I want to dump on you. Uh, do ask, uh, uh, you know, if people have questions about editing, ask them now. But if, you, if you'd want to learn more about that stuff, catch me afterwards. I'm happy to, to do things. And we do have, um, we have microphones. This is really true because Dan like, is more than more than happy to share with people how he makes his photos look amazing, which, like you said, is more in the how you think about the photo before you take it rather than the post-processing. But I really would take him up on the offer of teaching. Is, I think teaching is how I overshare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so we do have, we have microphones on either, either side. So if you have a question, uh, raise your hand and a microphone will find its way to you. Just so wait until you can speak into the mic because then it'll, it'll make it to the podcast. I have Hi a podcast question. People. Y wait, uh, so ra raise your hands <laughs> and these, these lovely gentlemen in the, uh, in the red, uh, Sweatshirts, sweaters, jumpers uh, will will find you. But you I have get, a question. I get to jump in first because okay. I have the yes. microphone. What is um, it? But I think a, a lot of people would want to ask you, like, what's your kind of first piece of advice that you'd give to someone, whether it's kind of getting back into photography as a hobby or, you know, exploring mobile photography for the first time, or maybe they do mobile photography and want to get, you know, more into film. It, it sounds like we've come a long way from the beginning of the talk thinking about where you came from and, and you know, what growing up in Miami and your influences, but what would be your piece of advice to someone in that situation? Who just wants to get more into it? Yeah. To do it. Like, I, I'm, like, I don't think it's actually like really complicated. I think you, you do it. Like, I say that and it sounds, it might sound glib, but that's how I've done it. I, I haven't had much of a plan. Yeah, I don't count saying five years ago that sometime in the next five years I want to be making 20 or 30% of my income from photography as a plan. That's an idea. That's a thought. That's a, but but that's, that's actually the important part is that I, I wanted to do that and I trusted that, that I would figure out how to do that. Um, and what I like about doing things that way is that they become intentional. They are intentional at a, at a low level, but... They stay fun, as opposed to if you say, I need to, m I'm, I'm giving myself three months to become a professional photographer. That's like way too much pressure. What your focus becomes on is the pressure. And you're not going to do good work. You're not going to have as much fun. I mean, you might do good work, but it's not going to be anywhere near as, m as enjoyable as if you just say, let me see where this goes. And if it goes somewhere that makes sense to do more with, then I'll, I'll know it when I reach that point and then I'll start doing more with it. Um, which isn't to say the other way is doesn't work. But for me, that's, that's been how things have happened. I feel like I've stumbled into absolutely everything I've done. And a lot of that is by saying yes to things when people ask. And when, which is, it's kind of like, that's opportunity knocking, right? And then jumping in and taking advantage of it. Um, 
but it, it just it takes a lot of different forms and unless you're open to that unless you're you're kind of willing to say yeah let's let's see you you end up missing a lot of opportunities so yeah if you're interested in something do more of it don't worry about doing more of it professionally doing more it like cuz ultimately like if i was not earning money from photography i would still be doing photography like i do it because i love it never the other way around uh, or never never because of the money rather um uh i'm like music i did for 25 years and i i didn't earn money from it like i lost money on it because it was it was very expensive to kind of travel and do all these things and it was a hobby and i was happy when someone hired one of my on my my quartets to sing on a gig but it's not like it paid us tons of money. It was just like when you do something you love and someone offers to pay you for it, you feel really lucky. Um, so there's some hands up somewhere. Let's get some microphones to people. There is a hand up all the way at the back there. Hello. Hello. So when I take photos on my iPhone, I enhance them quite a lot. Um, I normally bring them into Snapseed, whack up the ambience, then the saturation, and then the, um, the structure. Mm -hmm. And so it ends up looking very, very different to real life. And a lot of the people that I that I show them to, um, some of them are a bit snobby, and they generally say, "Oh, you're editing it too much. Oh, that's not photography." Blah blah blah. And I was wondering if you had anything you could sort of give me <laughs> the ammunition to say to people, because your photos are quite realistic looking, whereas mine would would represent a very different kind of look of a similar scene. Great question. Uh, so first of all, my, my gut says that anyone who's who will say that what you're who will tell you that what you're doing what your choices are are wrong is just speaking bullshit <laughs> um, point blank like no one should it's an artistic choice there is no right or wrong if you like it good great perfect it's exactly what you should be doing um, and and to the second part where you said like uh, mine mine look very realistic if I was shooting for, uh, for again for like a newspaper or for ma uh, for journalistic purposes mine are like way too edited because they don't they aren't just straight out of the camera they're like they're I think there's a spectrum of what what is real and it's real to me and other people might think they're real but we all like I think we all experience the world in different ways we all we all uh, uh, interpret our senses in various different ways um, which I've learned as a musician and as a teacher of music and of, of design as well we all see things in very different ways and experience it and feel in different ways so why shouldn't our our art which is that uh, like unless you're photographing to doc f purely for documentary purposes that it, it kind of is art. Um, you know, it can be a mixture of all those things. You know, uh, a painting can be document, uh, documentation as well as art, right? But um, you know, I think it, you, you should do what your preferences are. Don't, don't I, I would tell this to designers, don't design like someone else. I would tell this to singers as well. Like, don't try to sing like someone else. Use your own voice. Like, that's what you've got. Figure out what it's capable of doing and do what you love to do with it. That's the same thing with, with editing. Like uh, There is no right or wrong, and that's what I think is great about photography. And it's really frustrating when people draw these absolute lines and say that is photography or that isn't. Uh, it's the same with people who say, uh, like people who shoot with big cameras, whatever f category that is, who say like that shooting on a smartphone isn't real photography. Of course it is. You're capturing an image. Done. That's photography. Um, you're a photographer if you shoot, uh, and, uh, and possibly if you shoot with intent, but th even that's a blurry line, and I don't want to draw the, draw the line on it. A hundred years ago, when the Leica came out and 35-millimeter film as a format started to become a thing, people who shot with large format, 5x4, 10x8 cameras, said that that wasn't real photography because it was too small. It, we have those people. On the Internet, we call them trolls. Um, 
they happen in real life as well. Just to ignore them. That's what I, I say. And one of the things that um, an Instagrammer from Portugal told me, a guy called Manuel Sageco, he said, you know, Hannah, just like if you if this picture makes you feel happy, like then share it. And like that's a kind of simpler way of saying like. I like that. Yeah, what you just yeah, said. Yeah, I definitely don't find the, s the simplest ways to say <laughs> things. That's for sure. <laughs> but I, I do think you know if if something does make you feel happy and it's something like again finding your voice. And, and sharing that with the world, I think that's going to in turn make you feel really exactly. happy. So and we have time for one more question because this has gone on for insanely long. But we will both be standing like back there at the corner afterwards, so come and ask us. And uh, if you're watching on the podcast and you wanted to ask a question, uh, just like there's, there's Twitter and email and all sorts of fantastic things. The internet. Uh, okay, hopefully this will be a good last question. But um, you talked a lot about... Um, your workflow and what apps you use for mobile photography, but I also noticed you had the Light Meter app on the iPhone, and I was wondering in what ways do you well use spotted. your iPhone um, for your, I guess we can't call it proper photography because <laughs> of that. the question you just answered, but you know, your film photography and your other cameras. Good question. Yeah, um, I, um, so I, I, I shoot a lot of film cameras that don't have built-in light meters because um, I like shooting mechanical cameras that don't rely on a battery. <laughs> Um, and uh, uh, so I, I do a mixture of metering by eye and just sh using the Sunny 16 method and just judging it because film tends to have a lot of latitude, which is fun. But more and more I'm metering what I shoot. And I've been experimenting, uh, I've been using a light meter app of various sorts on my iPhone for ages, for a couple of years now, because they're really accurate. Because I have a handheld meter and, uh, and I was using them like next to each other and they were getting essentially the same readings. So I thought, well, that's one less thing to carry. And uh, now I've, I've been using a, 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 a combination of app and a little plugin, a hardware plugin uh, that's uh, it's the uh, Lumu meter. So it's this tiny little uh, kind of like incident meter you can use for kind of reflective metering and instant meter, uh, incident metering. Um, and the app that comes with it is really cool as well. So it's, it's just, it allows me to do two different types of metering rather than just using the camera and the uh, and and letting the app figure out the math. So yeah, it's it's a funny thing that like that the iPhone has now turned into another tool for photography that where it isn't a camera because I also use it for um, looking up uh, uh, sunrise and sunset uh, details for a location, but also kind of exact angle of sunrise and sunset because I have an app called Light Track that allows me to do that and show tells me how long the shadows are going to be on a particular time uh, time of day on a particular date in any year. <laughs> like so, planning it becomes a planning tool. It becomes a metering tool. Um, it's I even use it. I've got light. I use Lightroom on on the desktop for my for cataloging my film shots and my DSLR shots, and I use Lightroom Mobile to kind of do my rating. Uh, you know, on my on my phone, and like add tags and other other things that then get synced back to Lightroom. So it's like suddenly this thing is now a part of my photographic life in loads of different ways that even a year ago I didn't anticipate. It's really cool. Like I mean, again, it it can do so much. Why not figure out and play and let it do all these fun and things? And it's one less thing to carry. And in it's your one many And if you bags. saw as many things as I carry all the time, you'd realize how big a benefit that is. <laughs> I just want to thank Dan for, for doing this series. Um, if you haven't watched the other podcasts, they're all incredibly interesting and all have different insights from different Instagrammers from all over Europe. So I'd recommend to go and search that on iTunes. And just thank you for 
allowing us to turn the tables. It's not easy letting people into it's your really creative process. So. It's really nerve-wracking to actually be in this seat. I want to be back over there again. <laughs> um, and thank you, Hannah, for, for being the guest host tonight. Of course, tonight. and fantastic. I think the series is going to continue, right? The series right? is going to continue. Uh, look for, for dates on, uh, so, so most of, most of uh, the, uh, the information ends up going on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash photographer is where future dates will, will end up. So go and check that out. Um, uh, uh, we'll be announcing dates and names uh, very, very soon for 2015. So thank you very much for being here. If you're watching on the podcast, thank you very much for continuing to watch. And we'll, uh, we'll see you all next year. Great. Thanks, guys. <laughs>